Hi, and welcome to Good Change Conversations with myself, Christy Hunter, and Stina Smith. We're here to inspire everyday people to do good things. Good changes come in all shapes and sizes in the form of products, mindsets, routines, and more. Each episode, we're going to introduce you to small changes that will help you and the environment. We hope you take away at least one of these and change for the better. In the wise words of Elvis Presley, clean up your own backyard first, and then the world's. Focus on the small changes. Don't try to do everything perfectly. Just little bits, one step at a time. So Simon Erickson grew up on an an idyllic Gisborne sheep and beef farm. After university, he spent a bit of time in the UK working on a pig farm and then came back to New Zealand and that was the birth of his business, Neat Meat. So Neat Meat works closely with farmers who are willing to overcommit when it comes to farming practices and deliver really good quality products to the market. This farming practice includes looking after their animals and their land ethically and sustainably, and it also means Neat Meat has invested in world-leading machinery and packaging technology with the highest environmental credentials, and above all, they stay innovative in keeping or continuing to deliver the best to the customer, looking after the, the planet and the people. Simon, we are so excited and privileged to have you on the show today. The founder of Neat Meat, Simon Erickson. We're looking forward to hearing about your journey to more sustainable practices and in turn delivering better practices and, and products to the people. Thank you, Christy, for the awesome introduction. Neat Meat, as you explained, is 20 years old this May. The journey started when I returned back from the UK in 99 and couldn't get a job anywhere else, basically. So, in fact, I did get a job as a farm consultant in Pukekohe, um, but I thought, well, I'm young enough to try something myself, and if it doesn't work, I'll recover. I don't say that anymore, far too old. Yeah, it's been a really interesting journey. It started with just me and my little Subaru car, and over the 20 years, we've sort of grown it to about 85, 90 people now, so it's, yeah, it's it's a good business. So taking a step backwards, Tell us about your upbringing. Like, where did you, you you grew up in Gisborne? Yeah, yeah, I did grow up in Gisborne. Uh, well, that was my first 13 years. So we grew up in the back blocks of Gizzy. Dad was a sheep and beef farmer. Being the oldest son, I was taught how to kill um, sheep and process it, but my other two brothers never got ta- taught that for some reason. And then I schooled, local school, 32 people, I think, two classrooms. When everyone else was doing maths and English, we were doing bull rush. And then from, um, you know, 13 onwards, I was sent, like my brothers, to, to uh, Auckland to carry on my schooling. Uh, then Massey University, I did an um, agribusiness degree and then overseas. So what inspired you to get into, to adopt this a more sustainable approach? Was this based on something you experienced growing up or what was your driver for creating and bringing the values that Neat Meat are working towards today? Primarily, I mean, we work in an industry. We're sort of in the, we're sandwiched in the middle of hospitality and retail, if you like, and the meat industry itself, which is comprised of farming and the processes. Um, and it's a and they're two of the largest industries in New Zealand. You know, hospitality and tourism versus the primary industry. And their primary industry hasn't evolved in hundred years plus. You know, it's still done the same way. The markets are very traditional. The way we process is traditional. The language used between farmer, processor is still the same, awkward language. And so listening to these conversations, it sort of kept driving into me that there's something fundamentally wrong with the way in which we communicated what was, I suppose, priority and how we bought and sold meat. One team was trying to drive the price down. The other team was actually, it was costing them more to farm. 
and it was going to cost them more to farm if they were going to do it in a sustainable way for the short term anyway. So just listening to all of that made me think, well, there's got to be a better way of doing it. We have to convince consumers at the end of the day. We, that's our job. We're, we're marketing. We're communicating with the end consumer around why they need to understand the value of paying for sustainably farmed meat because we all have a responsibility to do so. I mean, nowhere in the world other than what we're doing, as far as I'm aware, do, do does any meat product or food product build in the environmental costs and production and the selling price. So it's a huge education process for people yep. f- from your perspective. Yeah, massive. You know, consumers in New Zealand don't really have a problem with what they see driving down the road in the country with the sheep and beef. They don't know what's going on beyond, below the ground or within the animal. Pigs and chickens are a bit different because of all the, all the press that's come that way. So naturally other brands in that area have benefited from going into free range and other things. So it, it is a harder journey to, to um, be on, that's for sure. But would you say that consumers are more concerned now about that whole paddock to plate transparency? I think traceability is paramount. I mean, um, it's trust. Traceability is, is I think, going to be the, the biggest thing for food consumption going forward. And is that a trend you're seeing in this industry? That yeah, I mean, drive now? yeah, I mean, Asia specifically, or especially are, because there's so much, I suppose, fraud, if you like. There's repackaging, there's all sorts of things, and so people don't trust what they're eating or where it's coming from. But that's a trust thing from that level. What we're trying to do is gain, put more value into it by telling people, okay, not only can you trust the product, we're going to tell you where it comes from as well. And that's always been a, that's always been a problem in a really old industry to be able to trace meat from farm to plate. So do you, when you choose your farmers or suppliers, do you have these conversations with them and help them with some best practices? On Not normally. I mean, the farmers we talk to are already doing it. You know, like the majority of New Zealand farmers, are, you know, are arguably still farming to their, to, the, to their best ability. No farmer, I don't, not many farmers go out of their way to pollute or do something bad. They just don't know what they can change to make it work better. Organic farming used to be, you know, when I started it when I was at Massey, they weren't really the best farms. They're quite run down. I think it was more of, you know, it was, it was more the psyche of organic farming back then. But now it's cheaper to run a, a, an organic farm now than a non-organic farm. So they just understand how to run their farm better. What we've done is once we've got the meat, we then start working out, okay, what is it that we need to do now to continue that sustainable journey through to when the consumer gets it. Want to find out more good changes that you can make in the home? Visit www.goodchangestore.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Good Change Store. Stay up to date with news on us, our products and the good changes we're making. So, Simon, you hear meat lovers talking a lot about grass-fed. What does that actually mean? In New Zealand, it's a funny one because there's very little grain-fed anyway. Uh, it's, the conversation around grass-fed meat is typically the US. So there's huge demand in the US on grass-fed meat, and that's playing havoc with the commodity markets around the world for lean meat. World, world standards are that something like McDonald's 60, it has to be 66 chemical lean, what that means is 66% meat. Never used to have that. So so basically these big countries have to import a lot more grass-fed meat. The key here though is getting that quality piece right. So it is a health thing. I mean at the end of the day grass-fed beef is higher in omega um, and it's just a, it's, and it's got, and it's actually got better flavour profile. And you actually have a perception that there's a happy cow out there in the paddock that's eating a lovely pasture. That's right. I mean, cow, <laughs> cows have two stomachs. They're, d- they're purposely designed to digest grass. They were born to eat grass. Their teeth, everything about the cow was about grass. 
for our listeners out there saying, well, it's, some might not eat a lot of meat, some might be on keto diets, but anyone looking for health reasons to do something better with meat, what are some of the things when they're standing in the supermarket that they should be looking at? I, I think the biggest thing is probably your small goods, if anything. Small goods, you can hide all sorts of nasties in those. And like they're not dangerous, they're just not full of you know, nutrition. So the, naturally, the cheaper the sausage you buy, there's a reason for that. I always laugh at it when I see a sausage that's cheaper than the raw material they put into it. I mean, so what happened there? And that, unfortunately, New Zealand's cuisine, if anything, is a sausage. You know, every Kiwi eats a sausage, right? And so, you know, the primals, the steak cuts are sort of a given. I mean, I, I could sit here and say, well, when you look at a sirloin, make sure it's not shiny and red like the supermarkets advertise. Make sure it's got a, it's got a bit of marbling in it because that's, that's, the, that's the perfect steak. You know, an animal, when it grows, it goes bone, then it develops the meat. When it finishes growing the meat, it creates the marbling. So a fully finished animal has to create those characteristics. So when you're eating meat, you're looking for a fully finished animal that's been grown. And you can tell by its colour, you can tell by its marbling. I don't think some of the listeners would even know what marbling is. Or honest. even the difference between a sirloin and a scotch. <laughs> that's the reality. What right. is marbling? Marbling's that intramuscular fat. So it's a different fat to the external fat. It, 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 it actually dissolves and it's actually, it's, you can go to keto and everything, they like that fat. Um, but it, when you talk about eating in quality, it, that fat in the meat, it cooks. So when you cook it, it dissolves into the meat. And that's where you get that sort of flavour profiling from and that sort of juicy tenderness and succulence. New Zealand lacks that conversation around primals and steak cuts and rump steaks and, you know, what rump cut should you get and what sirloin, the front end or the back end of the sirloin should you should you get. The back steak, if you like, the top of the shoulders, the chuck, then it turns into the scotch, then it turns into the sirloin, turns into the rump. It's actually one long muscle. At different points, the animal, depending on the work that it does, will dictate its tenderness, hence why the scotch fillet's always the most tender, doesn't do it, or the eye fillet is the most tender because it does no work. You know, so there's these sort of things that explain the characteristics of meat when you eat it. From your experience with with the good quality meat, and you've also seen, we've heard about the bad quality meat in the market, have you heard any feedback from any of your customers experiencing health effects, different health effects from uh, different sorts of varieties of meats? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you've got a strong following organic, and they'll often be, you know, children. their children that have... I've got good friends who were inoculated and had a really, really devastating impact on their health. And they changed their diet and their family, so it's strictly just organic. That's that's for them, right? And so everyone's different, and that's had a ma- major impact on them. So we've used that. So when other people have said, oh, we've got these problems, uh, we sort of say, well, maybe this is for you. Certainly this whole sustainable farming, and specifically Taupo and others, there's far less inputs in the meat. So you eat what they eat effectively and so people always come back and say yep I see the benefit in that even your small goods the same thing as I sort of pointed before when you're making sausages and other things you've got to remember what you put in there is what other people are eating and what they put out so we make it as natural as we possibly can I was just hearing on the radio this morning you know the diabetes type 2 epidemic in New Zealand and and, and one of these doctors was talking about the keto diet it's 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 massive that people don't really understand you know we blame meat it's funny when we start blaming things, we're not maybe looking at the real cause, you know, and we all know that processed foods and sugars are the problem, let's be honest, and it's in every food. It's not in meat. When you're eating the right amount of meat, I mean, I don't eat meat that often, and when I eat it, I really eat good meat, and you don't need to eat massive portions either. Everything's in balance. Man has been eating meat for longer, much longer than most other foods, right, and we're still around. So I think what we're getting to now is just finding, okay, what is it that we think is going to be sustainable in terms of the way we farm, 
the way we eat and how we eat. And you've, you've talked about organic, but you also hear this catchphrase of biodynamic farming. Yeah. What are the differences? Biodynamic, they use pretty much only renewable, natural sort of fertiliser, whether it be manure and that's, that sort of thing, and they put that in the cow's horn and they'll hang it from a tree and bury it and do all sorts of other types of things. Organic, um, there are things you can use, other natural fertilisers that you can use on your farm to help stimulate soils and everything. So one's just a more extreme version of the other, I suppose the best way to explain it. And you, you've talked a little bit about soil health. I'm just wondering, how, how important is soil health? I think soil health is the nucleus. I think it's the, it's the nirvana of, of it all. Forget the fact that we're farming. We're actually just really good growers of grass. We are looking after our soils and growing. The quality of the grass that comes from those soils is a product of the quality of the soils. And everything in that grass, remember, if an animal can only eat one thing in its grass, all the nutrients that need to be in that grass to make it a healthy animal, unlike a human being that has to eat how many different types of food to tick all those boxes, a cow just eats grass. Good change, bamboo reusable towels. The perfect alternative to a single-use paper towel or the blue synthetic rolls that stay on the planet forever. Use, wash and reuse up to 85 times, then compost them in your home and send them back to nature. Available from your local supermarket or online at www.goodchangestore.com. Help support good changes in New Zealand homes with Good Change Bamboo Towels. I'm aware that there's only a certain number of, is it microbes or levels of soil health that are left in our soil these days. Um, by buying neat meat products or buying good quality meat, how can we support soil health? Soil health, you've got to leave it compact and together. Every time you turn it, which is typically what you do to grow crops, you release carbon. Massive amounts of carbon to the air. So the biggest release of carbon in the atmosphere is actually from the soil when you till it. So, And it's kind of one of those things we don't want to talk about, but it's the truth. But when you hold the soil together, it creates those mi- micro- microbes that you just talked about, and you get it back in harmony. The less you do with your soil and leave it and nurture it, the more of those microbes you build back. So we don't. it's not that we're running out. We can always put back in again. It, t- it takes a few years but you only have to go around some of these, some of these, some of this country. I mean, when we were in Tianao at one of our organic farms a couple of years ago, one farm was organic and the farm next door was not organic. And the farmer didn't, you know, he got a spade and on the one side of the fence dug it up and it was rich, dark soil with with hundreds of worms. Got over the fence, could not get the spade in the ground. The same rainfall was only a meter away from each other, but different grass types throughout the farm and knew how to do it. That, that soil, I've never seen such rich soil, and it was in a pretty harsh environment. Not a huge amount of rainfall, but they just knew what to do to make the soil. It was completely in balance. You only have to see that to sort of understand what good and bad looks like. Yeah, and I, and I quite like what you were saying before, Simon, about what we put into the meat gets put into us. So it just makes you appreciate the whole chain a bit more. Do you feel that you were ahead of the curve and it's starting to reap some benefits now? And We are pretty much the only organic brand in New Zealand you know, in terms of beef and, and lamb. We're really the, uh, the only main free-range brand. It's pork brand as well. And they, for us, it's important to have those three species together because it's not just about beef. It's actually about all animals that grow on soil and what impact they have. You know, that part of our business is growing much faster than anything else. So genuinely, I think consumers are demanding it a lot more. But still, we're only just scratching the surface. I mean, people don't even, they don't know where to get it. They don't know how to access it. They don't know the full story. People don't have a long time to stop and look at a product. 
So there's a lot of work for us to complete this journey with consumers as they actually get their attention and tell them about what's going on because it's a, it's a paradigm shift once they do move. One of the things I've recently learnt, one of your brands that is under the, the neat meat umbrella, Harmony, the sausages have got a natural casing around them and, the, and there's real meat in there. I think you mentioned before, you know, you might get 40% meat or 50% meat in a standard sausage with a, is it a synthetic casing that you'd put around? Yeah, they yeah. Use, yeah. I mean, the, the thing is about synthetic casings, they are cheaper. Um, they're uniform, so machines can pump them out much faster. You use natural casings, you do get the odd irregular shapes, so they have to be handmade. It's a work of love, you know, sausage and small goods, from everything from the skin that you put it in. The, sh- the sausage makers, our sausage makers, don't share each other's secrets with each other. You know, they think they're so good, and they are. So when people are in the supermarket and they're wanting to buy a piece of meat, what are some of the things from a health point of view that they should look at and consider when buying that piece of meat? Well, there's only one thing that's going to allow anyone any um, knowledge of what that looks like, and that's the brand. There's there's no requirements in New Zealand to put on there anything about the product, not where it's from, not necessarily what's in it. I mean, the, if it's a small good, yes, you've got the ingredient list. But other than that, you just have to trust the store that you're in, unless, of course, you bought a brand, you know, a, a, a trusting brand, that, um, and you just keep buying it. And, and for, for a brand to be trusting, what would... Maybe the, the top three things be for for that brand to represent. Again, look, I think we touched on it. I think that at the end of the day, you go home and research what good brands are, are out there and and how that's done. I'm not, I'm not sure, but you know, for us, we think you know it's always about from you know we look back, so we always know that we know the story of the farmer. So if people want to, we're up, we're doing all of our content at the moment, and all of it's going to be okay. Come on us and come with us on our journey. We're going to take you to the farms, show you how you grow. We're going to take you into our processing and show you how to do it. I don't know how other what other way you can do that to get people's trust. Because they are the trust markers, right, from beginning to end. And how can you know? I'm always a bit concerned about um, the hormone-filled meat or full of antibiotics. How can I make sure to avoid avoid that and not just falling for some marketing scheme? Again, there's not. It's pretty loose in New Zealand. I mean, New Zealand's really moved away from hormones, and largely because most international markets don't want it. Back in the day, you had what they called compidose, which was a capsule you put behind the ear of a, of a steer. So a bull that's had its you can see it, Simon. bulls chopped off. And so what they do, though, is put the hormone in it to make it grow like a bull. So it puts on heaps of weight. Um, and because New Zealand, most farmers are paid, for, pay, paid by weight of animal. And so it's a return on the investment. So you don't see much of that anymore. But there is nothing to, you know, retailers don't need to claim whether it's antibiotic free or, or, or hormone free. Generally speaking, though, you you won't see too much of it. At Good Change Store, we have designed beautiful and sustainable cloths for your home. They began as a vehicle to help lead social change. We are here to inspire and help people make small changes for a better world. Start with your kitchen and clean with prettier cloths that care about your bench as well as the environment. What What's the size of a piece of protein? Is it still, you know, the old-fashioned rule of... A little piece of steak should be the size of your palm, or well, that's the yeah, that is the rule. But I mean, what if you got little hands and you're a big person? Good I point. don't really, I don't get it. But I mean, oh look, I, I think uh, we 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 played around with that. I mean, our portion sizes are a little bit smaller. I think restaurants that used to go to dine out and eat as much as you meet. You, if you eat it over a kilo, you'll get it for free, sort of thing. You know, encourage big portions, big T bones. Seldom do people ever finish it. 
And when they did, there was no room for anything else. Meat portions now, we typically go smaller. So higher quality products, just made, which done smaller. We've never had any complaints around the portion size and they're smaller than they used to be. So what would be the amount of meat that the average New Zealand consumer should be should be eating? What would you recommend? About eight kilos each. Of neat meat? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, look, I think the standard is, you know, the health guidelines are around sort of, you know, three portions a week, you give or take, and, you know, the average sort of serving of around 150 grams. But again, you've got one person twice the size of the other person's. It's just natural physics, right, as to what, you know, or chemistry as to what that person could eat, should eat. And again, it depends on the cut. Some of them are richer than others. Some of them have got more, you know, like a lasagna or something, have got more product with it, like, you know, mince products. So, you know, I think, uh, again, it comes back to the thing, don't eat, don't eat too much. Eat the right amount, but just eat better. It's been really eye-opening to actually learn about the health effects of meat and how you guys in Neat Meat are pushing the sustainable side, the soil health through to the packaging and the end process so the consumer is getting a healthy product and also learning a little bit more about the big differences and the health effects that, that people actually experience with good quality meat versus meat that perhaps is, is imported or um, farmed in a different way. So thank you very much for that, Simon. It's been, um, it's been fascinating to learn about. Yeah, really interesting, and and just building your confidence in meat as well. It's exactly, an unknown for a lot of people. So yeah, well, we've got a lot of competition out there now, coming from you know plant based and 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 vegan. I mean, the funny thing about vegans is the the, the new vegans so different to the old vegan. The old vegan was very much around animals welfare. Uh, the new vegan is kind of like a trend thing. So do you get any feedback from vegans? Uh, we well, we do when we do shows. I mean, I've I've I pride myself on over the last five years. I've pulled probably four vegans back into the land of meat, and they were really extreme. So, um, but, it, it, you know, to have one-on-ones like that f- for 15 minutes to do that's not economical if you're trying to get it out there. Uh, so we we, uh, we really need to add, um, up the ante on how we message and communicate what we're doing because I think a lot less people would move away from meat if they knew what we were doing. So, Simon, can you tell us three things that our listeners could take away today in terms of buying and consuming meat yeah, absolutely. Um, I think yeah, three things would be take time to learn about what you're eating. That's an obvious one, but be a little bit more patient when you're shopping for meat. It's a pretty important purchase during the week. The second thing is align, align with reputable brands. You know, investigate what that brand is and, and all brands and stick to it. But the third thing, and I think this is the um, probably more obvious in the last 12 months since COVID started, is that people have always been quick to judge farmers. And I think that New Zealand would be in a bad place without farmers. So I think that, um, you know, they're the ones that have created all these little communities around New Zealand. Um, they are literally have been the backbone of our economy for so many years. What's really, really encouraging is actually farmers are being remembered for that now. And they're the ones that, you know, they work 365 days a year. They're the ones that carry massive debts that deal with the various hardships of weather conditions and other things. So I just, I'd like to do a little shout out for the farming community of New Zealand. I think that's a very good point. Mm. Got to remember our farmers. Got to remember the farmers. Thanks, Simon. Pleasure. Simon, thank you so much for coming in today. We feel very privileged to have learnt um, such an amazing story behind the meat industry and um, really appreciate your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to our Good Change Conversations. We hope you are walking away feeling excited and inspired by those doing good things. Keep coming back. 
We have so much more we want to tell you.